Salam and welcome to the Claritas Books podcast, a dynamic audio space that explores a wide range of publications, from history to halal branding and spirituality to storytelling. I'm journalist Ramona Ali, and in today's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Christiana Backer to discuss her best-selling memoir, From MTV to Mecca. Christiana was one of the first presenters for MTV Europe in the 1990s, and at the height of her success, she began to feel that something was missing. She then embarked on a path filled with revelatory and challenging experiences that eventually led her to embrace Islam. Christiana, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for making the time to be with us today. Thank you for inviting me. Such a pleasure. Wa alaikum as-salam. Christiana, before you became a recognisable face around the world, could you take us back to your childhood, to your upbringing, and just briefly tell us how it all began for you? I started out in Hamburg. Um, I have uh, a sister and I was always a vivacious, fun-loving young girl at the age of eight or so. Um, My sister remembers how we once played a game where I was um, interviewing the Prime Minister of Germany, (laughs) the Bundespräsident. Um, So uh, I don't know if it was somehow in my subconscious that one day I might become um, an interviewer or a presenter. I don't know, but... uh, I eventually, after my high school exams, I saw an ad in the paper. A friend of mine saw this ad and it said, whoever wins this job must move to London. So I thought, I'll apply for this job. What is it? (laughs) All right, I'm presenter on MTV Europe. All right, fine, I'll I'll try that. And um, uh, I was a radio journalist by then. In Radio Hamburg. In Radio Hamburg, Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, eventually sent it off and then... Months and months and months later, I received a telegram from MTV. (laughs) This was before the days of emails. And uh, they said, yeah, I'd love to, uh, like to invite you to an audition. And you give us, through the book, such a wonderful insight into the world of celebrity and the world of music. Could you just give us a taste of what life was like for you? During your time with MTV? You know, it of course, it really changed. When I came to London, I was sort of new chick in town. I had this dream job, um, party invitations all the time, you know, and just um, then became a name and really made something out of it. Um, learned the craft about uh, of television presenting, which was a new thing, and also hosting big shows, you know, big music shows. Um, I was once put on stage in front of 70,000 people at a rock concert. Uh, where Prince was about to perform and everybody was cheering and it was felt like I was levitating, you know. Good evening again, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you're all well-fed and well-watered. Welcome to ATV Frontline News. I'm Christiane Bakker in London, the news this hour. Größte Dankeschön gehört natürlich euch. Vielen Dank. So I can understand the addiction that uh, pop stars get to this fame, to this uh, limelight, you know. Apparently you even went Christmas shopping with Brian Adams, is that right? I did, I did, (laughs) yeah. That was actually fun. He's a very funny guy and it's incredible. And then you go home to your hotel room all alone. Ears are still ringing from the noise and you're feeling lonely, you know, and you need something to come down from this high. It was a tr- you know, great, great fun. It really was. Um, eventually, though, 
I realized, you know, never mind if you had any issues, family issues or whatever problem, you still had to smile into the camera, always look perfect. And somehow, you know, in my uh, sort of dark moments, um, there was only one thing, shopping, retail therapy. <laughs> and uh, of course, the pleasure you get from a new handbag or a new outfit doesn't doesn't last long and then you need something new. So when did the doubts about the nature of your work really begin? After three weeks. <laughs> three weeks into it. <laughs> but then carried on. And then after two years, you know, I actually felt almost not suicidal, but I had a crisis. You know, I felt like if I was on the way to Belgium, if the plane crashes, I don't care. I was almost fed up. You know, I was pretty much fed up with it all, you know, because I was like, I felt so hunted almost, you know, like chased all the time, always on the run and always having to look perfect, you know, packing your bags, dashing here, dashing there and always, it's it. there's a lot of pressure. You know, there was a lot of pressure as well. And um Anyway, it was shortly after that that I had this fateful meeting with uh, not a long-bearded Muller, <laughs> but um, a handsome sports star who uh, knew nothing about music. And um, I didn't know anything about cricket, so I had no idea who he was. And, and who was this person? Oh, we sitting next to dinner, <laughs> uh, next to each other at dinner. And uh, it was uh, Imran Khan, now Prime Minister of Pakistan. And um, he had just won uh, for his team the World, or with his team, the World Cup for Pakistan. And, um, and you know, he just had a very different perspective. I remember that very first dinner uh, where we were with all these other people and um, and everybody was raving about the film Basic Instinct. And, you know, what a daring film it was and showed all these things that are never normally shown, broke all the rules and taboos. And he said, well, in our culture, this would never be shown. You know, you don't show anything that is private between husband and wife. So it was it was um, a little bit disturbing or different. I mean, talking to him, you know, with all these different views. And yeah, because you intriguing. came from opposing worlds almost. So yeah. that came together for you really with this this encounter with Imran yes. Khan. yes. Yeah, absolutely. It made you rethink. It was. It made or, me think. Exactly. Or was it already deep down inside of you, and you? It just. It came out through this meeting. Um, in the course of time, things uh, developed because then he phoned up and took me out a few times. So the first evening I went out, I turned up in my Alaya mini dress, and he asked me if I could uh, keep on my coat for the evening. Um, and I thought mm, this is a bit odd, but uh, why? And he said, "Well, in our culture, women and men don't show flesh. You know, it's uh, all about modesty." So I had very early um, learned about the idea of modesty in Islam and that I started reflecting upon, you know, and why. And it's true. And as we, you know, when you're driving through London and oh, practically naked women advertising cars, perfumes, whatever product, it made me think, why do women always have to take the clothes off to sell something? And men usually are fully covered. You know, I, I reflected on that and agreed um, pretty soon that uh, this is not the way forward and I started changing my clothes as I was um, an MTV presenter. Luckily, grunge came into fashion at the time and so it wasn't too obvious. But, um, yeah, it made me reflect and um, and then through befriending Imran, um, I learned a lot more about the ideas of Islam and uh, the concepts, the philosophies, the fact, I mean, the big point, of course, the oneness of God, that God is one and not separated into three entities. And that made sense to me. And, you know, so many other points as I started looking into it all then and he gave me books to read. But actually the very, very first thing um, that, um, in fact, opened my heart, apart from these encounters that I was describing, 
was when he started playing Kawali music. Um, this very famous artist, Nusrat Fatih Ali Khan, um, with whom he practically did all his fundraisers to raise the money for the hospital. He had him perform all around the world and they raised funds through those concerts. And I went to some of those concerts where Mick Jagger was there and Jerry Hall and Barry Helm and all these supermodels and uh, various other pop stars and everything and Sting and so on. And they were all moving and tapping away and grooving, you know, they loved it. They just loved the sound and it is intoxicating, this Kawali music. <laughs> at the time then translating the lyrics they really are heartbreakingly beautiful and then they melted my heart in some way and and opened me really to the culture and religion of islam so anybody who says music is all haram and it's all rubbish it brought me to islam that is amazing it's interesting that there was music in both of these worlds in your mtv world and also in the world of islam that you were interested in and that experience that you just described it brought it together Isn't in a way some then, kind of reconciliation yes, through it it totally was and I then announced the tour dates from Nusrat and the charity fundraising dates and stuff on my MTV program and um, and it was wow. really his lyrics that touched me deeper than any pop song I heard on MTV How long after you started at MTV did you go to Pakistan? I started at MTV in 1989. January 89, I went to Pakistan the first time, August 92. So, and then straight from that trip in uh, Pakistan, uh, to Pakistan and to the mountains, I went to the MTV Video Music Awards in L.A., And uh, that was such a clash of worlds, you know, uh, as I was describing the loose outfits, the friendly people in Pakistan over there, you know, at the award ceremonies, everybody with their Botoxed faces and pumped up lips and dark shades at night and uh, in, in ultra mini skirts, and, you know, and it was just such a fake, strange world compared to where I'd just been, you know, and, uh, and I had books on Islam with me. So I kept studying my books and everything. And this is, um, was my life for a few years shuttling between Pakistan and M my MTV life. So how, what was the next stage in, your, um, in this uh, journey? He, Imran actually said it was through a Sufi that he can, that he well found his faith again. He made me aware, more aware put it that way, of the spiritual dimension in life. In fact, I once read an article uh, written by Dr. Jeremy Hensel Thomas who wrote a comparison of uh, the Christian Pentecostal um, belief and practices and Sufism. And there is a common, so much commonality, which is what my grandparents did, because that's this experiential, you know, Christian uh, practice where you feel God, where you have a taste of, of the divine. And that is exactly what happens in Sufism, which is a path I later on followed after becoming Muslim. I was invited to Pakistan and I met 
the most amazing, wonderful human beings from Pakistan who really opened my heart and touched me, you know, um, by their generosity, their um, uh, readiness to sacrifice everything for the sake of God, uh, to help others. And then intellectually, I became really engaged and 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 had more and more questions and wanted to know more and more. So it, you know, and then I shuttled between the two worlds. My first trip to Pakistan, um, you know, where everybody was wearing slightly looser clothing and longer and modest, and people were so generous. We went to the mountains, and um, people offered us the last things they had out of just hospitality. They didn't know who Imran was. They didn't have television. And, um, or me for that matter. But, and once I saw my show in a tent somewhere in the middle of nowhere, somebody uh, stood in for me for my program and we were in the middle of nowhere, outlandish, faraway place in the tent somewhere in the desert, you know, wild Pakistan. And they had MTV there. You know, you talk about God consciousness and um, how religion has your faith has transformed you and and that comes up a lot in your book through a window that you give for us to the Sufi mystics like Bulle Shah there's a beautiful poem that you uh, cite in the book oh thank you um, for mentioning that <laughs> it really and you and you um, recited it at your book launch indeed so and he was a Mughal era Punjabi philosopher and poet uh, could right. you just recite that for us again because I remember getting goosebumps oh <laughs> all right you rush to holy shrines to play a part. Would you dare enter the shrine of your heart? You are quick to attack the evil one. Yet pride is a battle you have not won. You grab for a star you cannot control. Yet fail to grasp the light in your soul. Thank you so much, Christiana. That was beautiful. At what point did you then become Muslim? When did you make that decision? Well, it uh, was a process uh, that took me, it, it took about three years. So in 1995, my challenging year at the time, and one journalist asked the question, have you already converted to Islam for your boyfriend? And I was a bit shocked by this question because I'd never admitted I had a boyfriend because, of course, in Islam there is there are no boyfriends. You're either married or you're not. Anyway, so um, so the answer was no. And stupidly, I didn't just leave it at that I added but I'm a Muslim at heart <laughs> with the volunteering this information I finished my entertainment career overnight and I had absolutely no idea about that you know you cannot know these things in advance the next day the headlines in the German press read our MTV Christiana you know is she giving it all up and going behind the burqa to become first lady of Pakistan <laughs> That didn't quite work out um, at the time. Next thing I knew is Imran quit our friendship. And, um, you know, I was uh, suddenly a single. Shortly after that, the moment came where I was in the countryside with a friend. And I felt I really wanted to pray to God. And I stood up and I mean, sort of did it standing. And um, I realized, you know, Islam is not just an intellectual exercise. If I want to feel it and communicate with God and really, you know, you can do that, of course, as, a, any, as anything. But I was already a Muslim by heart. So I had to now simply get onto my prayer mat and start practicing. But all this press um, nightmare was already going on for the last, you know, few weeks in Germany. Um, you know, the next 
articles read, has she lost the plot? Is she supporting terrorism? Then I was invited on a on a um, talk show, and um, and they had women in burkas flashing up in the background, men with Kalashnikovs, blood everywhere, screaming Allahu Akbar. Oh, well, Christiana, what do you like about that? We thought you were an MTV presenter. I'm like, and I was trying to answer, well, Prince Charles, by the way, he is a great supporter of Islam. Islam means peace. And, oh, we didn't want to know about that. And then they asked the next Islamophobe on the program, you know. They hadn't invited a single Muslim except for me, and I was a brand new Muslim. So um, it was all very... So frightening. Disturbing. Very and this was in 1995. Not, uh, you know, 9-11 hadn't happened. And this was, you know... You, I mean, it's just astonishing, astonishing how Islamophobic the climate was, even mm. in 1995, and I had no idea. Yeah, it was it was there before 9/11. Yeah, people forget that Islamophobia yeah. has been around for a long time. Yes. Yeah. So let's talk about the the, yeah. the response. So, what was yeah. the response like to you becoming Muslim? Obviously, beforehand, when you just said you're a Muslim at heart, it was already yeah I vicious. Mean, that was then, the, you know, and then, then the press. Uh, and what campaign. about your family and friends? Yeah, you know, I mean, so then I became Muslim and. Um, um, media carried on talking negatively. I tried to rescue what I could. And uh, my mom also said, well, if you're not marrying him, why do you have to take up his religion? You know, she didn't understand. And it took time. My friends, the real friends, were stood by me and they thought it was inspirational. And other friends, so-called friends, didn't um, allow me my right to drink water at parties and things. They were like, you know, oh, you, come on, Allah isn't watching and you, you you must drink and don't be boring and stuff. You know, and it was a process of letting go, seeing who really is your friend and who stands by you. My parents, it took quite a long time, my parents and family, to make them understand uh, that Islam has now become something by my of my own and, you know, that I really was sincere it wasn't just a, a fad or a fashion anyway so um so it was all quite um shocking at the time but i learned to deal with these events with the help of god and uh, the sufis pointed out um that you know every to to try and see things from a higher perspective from a spiritual perspective that everything happens with the will of god and that suffering even is good for you. And um, they explained to me this thing that I like, this com comparison, um, like what Rumi said, suffering is like chickpeas that are thrown into hot boiling water and cooked till they're soft, sweet and delicious. And this is what happens with your soul. You know, it's purified, it's purged, it's um, made better, it's ennobled. You know, it's 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 good for you and, and you will come out shining and stronger if you bear these things with patience and try to learn the lessons and stuff like that. So I, I learned a lot during this uh, challenging time. So your book, going back to the title of your book, From MTV to Mecca, how was it for you when you first went on pilgrimage and how was it to see the Kaaba for the first time? It was 2001 um, that I went on the pilgrimage, um, you know, and being in front of the Kaaba was just an, an overwhelming experience. You know, you can't put it in words. You just feel dumbfounded, like awestruck, you know, by the this, the presence of, of the house of God. It was so serene. You know, these pilgrims in white men in their towels, women, you know, just absorbed in prayer, lost in prayer, walking around praying, praying aloud, praying silently, reading Quran. And I just talking about it makes me want to go back again. You know, it's it's just such a unique place. 
But you know, and what I also really loved about it is that you see people from everywhere. Yeah, it shows you the universality of Islam, you know. And you talk about it so beautifully in the book. I mean, some of the realities in contrast to the ideals of Islam. And uh, you give your observations and reflections about women, for example. Now, obviously, you're a, a, a woman convert to Islam. It surprises people still that there are so many women who convert to Islam, more than men. Yeah, it's a really good point. And in fact, this was also my key hesitation at first. Can I, as a contemporary woman in the West, at the forefront of the entertainment industry previously, can I really convert to Islam? Is it not a religion uh, where women are second-class citizens, you know, um, and where they have no rights and are treated very badly and all these things? Then I, I looked into the idea of uh, what does it mean to be a woman and a Muslim, you know, who are the I the um, people to look up to? And in fact, you can, you look at uh, the strong women of Islam, the white Lives of the Prophet, you know, and they were all phenomenal personalities. So I learned very early on to discern between what is cultural in Islam and what is actually the teaching of Islam. The cultural you can do away with. We have our own culture here in Europe, um, and I'm trying to live a European Islam. But as a strong, confident woman yourself, you have done a lot of PR for Islam. I mean, you've even, well, through your book, it is, do you see it as a bridge of, of communication for people? Yes, I wanted to take people by the hand, by my hand, to take them on my journey and show them how I overcame my own prejudices against Islam, which I had. I thought Islam was an antiquated book that was for the midi medieval times. Women are second-class citizens and it's just nothing, has no relation to today. And I, my God, was my my prejudice is blown apart and I discovered this beautiful universe, this rich, multifaceted, you know, f fascinating um, um, universe and no one knows anything about it. People are just scared about Islam, but they don't know anything about it really. You know, and, and, and I still get very positive messages all the time from people who have been touched by the book. Some people have even converted. People have changed their lives. It really um, increased people's faith um, in Germany. Certain Turks have written to me and said, oh, I, since your book, I bought the Quran. I started praying, gave up alcohol. And, you know, and I'm like, thank you, God. You know, it's, it's, I mean, that's the greatest joy of it all, you know. It's finding that peace that keeps coming up in, in your book. Yes, you know that um, that is probably the most valuable, um, most important, um, you know, gain uh, from having a faith is that God consciousness, is that um, knowledge that you know there is a source of um, comfort, source of uh, inspiration, you know, a life, a purpose, an inner purpose now to basically serve God and serve humanity, do good, you know, um, that that's the best thing, you know, that inner void that I always felt, you know, and I couldn't quite put my finger on what was missing at the time uh, when I was, when I had it all with MTV, you know, as I was describing, fun, fame, fortune, this, that, the other, something was missing. And I thought perhaps it was a partner or some, but no, no human being could fill that void, only the divine. And, you know, to have that 
connection with the divine that gives you everything, you know, from hope to inspiration to to uh, joy to inner peace. Um, that's the most valuable, really. Um, yes, and I'm I'm so grateful. It's the greatest gift anybody can ever give you. Inshallah. Thank you so much, Christiana. It's been such a pleasure having you. Thank you. It was such a pleasure being here. And thank you for the invitation. I've been your host, Ramona Ali. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe. And you can explore more works at www.claritasbooks.com.